Well, we are talking about sorry today. And did you know that the word sorry never appears in the Bible? <gasps> it's amazing. But there are lots of other words used in the Bible, like confess, forgive, reconcile, but no sorry. So when the Bible talks about sorry, it uses confession. That's how it talks about sorry. So in this video clip, um, they start out with the joke, apologies don't have to be sincere. It's just the act of the apology itself. And of course, that's a joke because it's sarcastic because, yes, you have to be sincere. You have to um, actually mean what you're saying, and that's why it's pretty funny. Well, in our kind of popular use of sorry right now, there seems to be two kind of extremes of how we use it. Um, on one extreme is a very casual, flippant, use it all the time, so many day, times every day, sorry. And it's just casual, and it's a throwaway word. But then there's in the other extreme where there's the, you use sorry when you get caught. And maybe you don't mean it, but you need to use sorry at that moment. So in that casual sorry moment, um, of just using sorry casually to be polite or to smooth over things, um, I was reading about a woman who noticed this in her life, that she said sorry all the time. And she decided to shift sorry to thank you. And so she would find herself saying things like, oh, sorry, I need to tie my shoes. You know, as if we care if you're tying your shoes. You know, it's like, but she says sorry, but she's shifted to thank you for letting me, or thank you for waiting for me while I tie my shoes. So she shifted that. So that's actually a word that changed her life that we did a few weeks ago. Thanks. That's right. But we're talking about sorry. So on the other side is um, the when you get caught sorry. When you don't actually want to say sorry, you got caught. And here you are saying sorry, and it's more of an image management tool to smooth over the situation, maybe to get out of trouble or avoid something. Um, and in these moments, we say things that are not actual apologies, things that are like this. I'm sorry that you felt that way. It's, it's actually you saying sorry. You're actually pointing out that they have problems with their emotions. <laughs> or, I'm sorry you took what I said wrong. It, again, it's not a sorry. It's a you are the one in the wrong here. So we have this kind of spectrum of casual sorry and when you get caught sorry, and there's a hole in the middle of that true and authentic sorry that is being missed. And that's what we want to be talking about this morning. Because the way the Bible talks about sorry is called confession. And we confess our sins to God, and we confess to one another. And in this, we receive Jesus' forgiveness. We tap into that resource that he has paid on the cross and in resurrection for everything. And now confession is the place where we restore relationships and we keep our relationships healthy and we keep the flow of relationship. So, sorry doesn't show up in the Bible, but I want to point out a couple of scriptures where there's words that convey sorry. So beginning James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Just the idea that we need to confess, and it's a healthy, good thing to do. And then in Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So the idea that if you identify in yourself something that you're holding against someone else, you need to be responsible for that. 
and you need to forgive. And on the other side, Mark, Matthew 5 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So the other way, you take responsibility. If you realize, ah, oh, I've offended someone, I've done something, I need to move toward them to confess that, to reconcile with them. So the Bible doesn't use the word sorry, but it does use the word confession and the idea of confession. And so we're talking about that today, confessing to God, confessing to one another. And this week, Charlie uh, gave... Uh, lent me this book called The Forgotten Medicine, um, The Mystery of Repentance. And the book starts out, the author is talking about a man who goes to a village and he needs a place to stay for the night. And this man is very wealthy and intends to give his host an incredible gift beyond what they could ever imagine. And when the man comes into the village to find a place to rest for the night, he visits um, the first house and the house is beautiful on the outside. And it is in an amazing location. Uh, but when he knocks on the door and they open it up, this foul smell comes out of the house because they are living under the same roof as the pigs, their pigsty. And so he just shrinks back and goes to the next house. The next house is a brand new build again, in a beautiful, lovely location with a river flowing by. And uh, as the man approaches that house, the owner of the house is very cruel and sends dogs out, cruel, mean dogs, who cause him to shrink back. So he goes to the next house. And he goes to the next house, and upon entering it, it is so dusty and dirty and in such disorder, he cannot stay. So he goes to another house, and in the next house he thinks, okay, I am so tired, I'm going to stay anywhere at this point. And he gets to this house and finds out there's fleas and parasites and bed, bed bugs, leaves again. So he goes throughout the village like this, looking for a place to rest. And finally he comes to this house, and he is greeted by cordial, friendly faces at the door. And upon entering, he finds it to be simple, clean and well-ordered. And he says, here, I can find a place to rest. And it is simple and clean and well-ordered. And something he notices about this house is the windows are all open. And the breeze is like blowing through. And the forest, the smell of the forest is just fabulous. And it's coming into the house. And so he spends the night there. So this author starts the book that way. And he goes on to say, Christ seeks to dwell in our lives. And our lives are like a house. And sin comes into the house, and with it, it brings a stench, and dust, and cobwebs, and parasites, and bedbugs, and always available to us is confession that leads to forgiveness. God is always eager and willing and wanting to give us this forgiveness that cleans out the house of all that sin, but it, he calls it the forgotten medicine. 
that we have this disease in our lives that we're living with, and the cure, the medicine, is available all the time. If only we would take it. But we don't. And that picture to me of just a life with open windows and breeze flowing through um, is a beautiful picture as we look at this idea of um, confession. Well, in the early church, there was a couple um, that wanted the outside of their house to be very impressive. So they um, did some things to keep the exterior looking good so that people would look at them and be impressed. Um, but the inside was rotten. And so in Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> Luke tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I just want to read this quick story to you. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Pretty shocking early church story of how important it is, not just the exterior, what people see, but also the interior. You know, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look good on the outside, but the problem was their interior. Mm. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira is really as old as time. It's the story of blame, and it's the story of shame. And when Tim and I were first married, if you've come through our premarital class, you know this story well. Uh, when we were first married, we hit a rough patch in our marriage, and we went to a marriage therapist. And uh, the therapist listened to our situation and said, you guys have a problem. I want you to stand up. And he put this piece of furniture, it was a chair, um, but he put this chair in between us, and he said, this problem is coming in between you. And he said, I want you to look at each other, point your finger at each other, and say, you're the problem. You're the problem. <laughs> so we did. You're the problem. And he said, I want you to feel what that feels like. That is called blame. And then he said, now I want you to point your finger at yourself and say, I'm, I'm the, the problem. problem. I'm the problem. And he said, that is called shame. And then he said, I want you to step out from the problem, hold hands together as one unit, and point at the chair in that case and say, that's, that's the, the problem. problem. <laughs> and so we did it. And uh, it became this picture for us. We should totally get married, do you think? Oh, we should. <laughs> we should. Uh, success. Became success. No, we... Um, it became a picture for us in our own interpersonal conflicts of the role of blame, the role of shame, standing together and looking at the situation that is creating stress and pressure on us as a couple. Um, think about confession in those terms for a minute. Confession in many ways 
is something different altogether. Because in confession, we do not blame the other. In confession, we do not blame the situation. In confession, we do not shame ourselves in such a way that we just, oh, I'm so terrible, I did this thing, and then we try to work our way out through our morality or good effort or proving, like digging ourselves out of the hole. It's really none of those. Confession is something different altogether. We actually just sang about it a minute ago when we sang that God forgives eight eight billion different failures disappear because of the cross. Because Christ rose from the grave, eight billion, that's like the people on the planet, failures disappear. What is confession? It's aligning ourselves. It's saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me to God and to one another? And what we're doing in true confession is we are throwing ourselves utterly and completely upon the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of God. We're not trying to prove our self-righteousness by explaining the situation. We're not trying to blame the other or blame the situation or shame ourselves and then try to... We're throwing ourselves utterly and completely on the mercy and grace, forgiveness of God, which is always available any moment, any situation, all the time. It's the forgotten medicine. I mean, you think about blame and shame all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and what happens? They sin. They eat the the fruit that God said not to eat. And remember, God comes to them, and he says, where are you? What have you done? What if Adam and Eve had just confessed? What would have happened if they would have just said to God, Yeah, we were wrong. We ate the fruit. We are sorry. Please forgive us. What you know of the heart of God, what do you think God may have done? But what did they do? Blame, shame, hiding. What did they do? When God said, where are you? What have you done? Adam said, Eve made me do it. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. They covered themselves. So blame, shame, hiding, covering, it has been our game ever since. I wonder, had they just confessed their sin, would they have been sent out of paradise? But for you and I, always, is available to us, this invitation to confession, to throwing ourselves upon the mercy and grace and forgiveness of a God who wants and longs to extend it all the time. So um, we are immediately forgiven and clean when we come to God in confession. And often other people long to extend forgiveness and mercy to us as well. If only we would practice and learn the art um, of true confession. Uh, But rather than that, we often uh, 
don't take this medicine, and we allow the decay to build up in our lives, and it forms in us this stinky, dirty, um, infested home of a life over time. How about that for good news? <laughs> well, we, yes, we are trying to actually have a home that doesn't have that stinky, infested parasite <laughs> situation, but we have a five- and a seven-year-old <laughs> that we're trying to train in saying, I am sorry. Um, we want to help them tap into this deep res resource of God's forgiveness, mm -hmm. healing, um, of keeping relationships strong and together. But you can probably imagine the situations that arise in our house, both unintentionally and intentionally. So perhaps unintentionally, you can see Russell on a daily basis swinging a stick around and clobbering Lila on the head. And that happens, and she cries. Or you can see the very intentional act, like yesterday, when Lila tore apart Russell's very precious Lego creation and brings him to tears that way. You know, she knows the power she has. Mm -hmm. So unintentionally or intentionally, we parents then zoom in and force the offender to apologize to the wounded. And <laughs> we just force them to say, I'm sorry, which how does that often go, Susie? It usually sounds like, sorry. Yeah, it's two syllables. It's not <laughs> heartfelt. And we've been wondering, um, because we do want to raise our kids um, to be good, sorry, sayers, but um, <laughs> we wonder if by forcing them to say sorry, if we are skipping ahead to the act of sorry and we're missing their heart, we're skipping some of the steps necessary to get to the place where they have a true and authentic Sorry. Mm -hmm. So we're working on that. Well, there is a progression of confession. You know, when we jump right to saying sorry, sometimes we miss the necessary steps along the way. And confession can be seen as a progression through these three very linear steps, before, during, and after. And the before is coming to realization that what you did was wrong, and it hurts someone. Um, the before may come quickly to you, right? You may quickly realize that someone is crying in front of you, and you know what you did. Or somebody is now yelling back at you, and you realize, ah, I did that. Or you may see someone just deflate and shrink away from you. And you can read those cues to know, ah, something I did was wrong. But we don't always catch all those cues and we need something more. And so um, Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And this idea that we ask God to search me. Search me, God. Look inside of me. Use your light to shine light in and show me what is wrong. Reveal to me what doesn't belong in my actions, in my words, in my thoughts. Reveal that to me. And then the before step, that's where we bring ourselves before God to confess and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. So that first step of before is doing the work of acknowledging your sin and its effect. And with that acknowledgement, hopefully comes a true sense of remorse or regret or responsibility. And we first bring that to God to receive his forgiveness, his healing, and his help to change us. So that's before. What happens during confession? Well, first of all, sorry has three components to it. 
I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Those are the three components in an authentic apology. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Uh, but who do we confess to? The scriptures tell us we confess to God, who is always eager to extend forgiveness to us. But the Bible also talks about confessing our sins to one another. And often we miss the importance of this step. I don't know about you, but for the most part, when I confess my sins to God in prayer, my mouth does not get dry. My heart does not start beating fast. My face does not flush. Sometimes it may. But when you go eyeball to eyeball, face to face with someone else, either someone you've offended, like a dear friend, an intimate partner, if you choose to confess to a pastor or spiritual director, soul friend, you will experience it in your body. And there is something good about confessing our sins to one another because it is entirely different um, and so important. We confess our sins to God and we confess our sins to one another. In doing it, you're, you experience in your body how hard that is to do. When we confess, during confession, we must not ex um, excuse our sin. We have to accept responsibility. We also must not hide anything, tell half of it. We also must not use general terms. We have to be specific. This is part of what communicates a true confession. So again, in, in this book, The Forgotten Medicine, there's a story about a Christian woman who goes to confession, and uh, she says to the priest, Father, I'm guilty of everything. And the priest says to her, have you stolen any horses? And she says, no, I've never thought to commit this sin. And he said, ah, so you're not guilty of everything. And then he led her in true confession. True confession, it's specific. It's not general. It is not, I had a moral failure. That's general. True confession is specific. It does not make excuses. It accepts responsibility, and it doesn't hide anything. When we truly confess, it's good to be brief, to be accurate, to be specific. We're not telling the whole story or putting it in context. We're not excusing ourselves. We're not placing our sin in the middle of a very understandable situation. In other words, we're not justifying ourselves. We are naming the part that we played, and we're accepting full responsibility for that part. And there's power in naming things. 
there's power in naming our sin. What we're doing, in fact, is in confession, is we are saying to God, we're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. We are throwing ourselves utterly and completely on the mercy of God rather than our own merit. So when I start to explain myself, justify, well, in this context and for these reasons, and he did and she did, and I'm attempting to approach God through my own merit, my own self-justification, my own self-righteousness. But when I come to God and I throw myself upon the mercy and grace of a God who is willing to and wanting to see eight billion failures disappear, I am approaching God in total humility. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And that just cleans out the house of your life. And that is the same way that we approach one another in confession. No excuses, no generalizations. Darren. Darren, Susie, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, why is there a horse in our backyard this morning? Because <laughs> I have something to confess to you. <laughs> gotten into horse stealing. <laughs> oh, yes. So we break it down into before, during, and after. After is probably where the rubber meets the road in many ways. Because after is how you are going to move forward, how you are going to change and actually not do what you did again. So in the after, you are declaring your intent when you say sorry, that I will not do that again. You know, another word that the scriptures use is repent. You know, repent is this idea that you are going in this way and you did these things, but when you repent of that, you say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to change, and I'm going to do this instead. I'm leaving that behind and going in a different way. So simply in our after, we say, I won't do that again. And this change in you affirms the trueness of your sorry. Think about that. If you, you, it affirms the trueness of your sorry. And I think this is where the casual sorry or the getting caught sorry break down because you have no intent to actually change. Now, this is a very silly example, but you think about me as a parent picking up my child at 2.45 every day. Now, first day of school happens. What happens to me? i running late. There's traffic, and I get there at <laughs> 3.15, and I say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I'm so sorry for being late. And the teachers are like, oh, yeah, first day of school. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. We'll give you forgiveness. Well, what happens by Friday when every day I've picked up at 3.15, 3.20, sometimes even 3.25? My sorry doesn't mean very much. The trueness of my saying I am sorry is not there. My sorry is very diminished. So the trueness of your sorry is proven by the change that you prove every day after. So changing your behavior going forward is essential. And there's a second component of after, that you may need to make amends for what you did. You may need to correct or fix what happened to repair that situation. So if you stole something, you need to give that back. 
if you slander someone, you need to go and correct that slander. If you swing a stick around and clobber somebody in the head, you need to pay their medical bill. You need to do what you can to amend that situation that you created. But sometimes it's not that clear. Sometimes you can't just do something to fix it. And so when you cannot do something in such a clear way, maybe you need to give flowers or maybe you need to make a donation in that person's name to their favorite charity as a gesture. Or maybe you just need to go out of your way to help that person in some unexpected way to gesture to them that you intend to change and you are sorry. You know, these three steps of sorry are not easy. And actually, we, we call that work, which is hard. Work. And it's a work that begins within you to first before acknowledge and see yourself in the context of the world you live in, how you hurt, how you affect, the impact you make. And maybe you need to allow God to search your heart to show you what is in you that needs to change or where you need to go and say you're sorry. But then there's the hard work. It's a different hard work of going face-to-face to someone, whether the person you've offended or someone else, and to confess and to say you're sorry to take responsibility and admit your fault, to be specific and ask for forgiveness. That's hard work to go and do that. But then there's a different, even hard work of following through with how you will change, to either change your ways or to make amends. There's a lot of work involved, but it is good work because it's the good work of keeping our lives clean and our relationships healthy. We captured a video of John Clute telling about the hard work that he did in saying he was sorry and making amends. Hopefully this will inspire you in your work ahead. Let's take a look. Someone told me, oh, you'll enjoy the work. And I'm like, you gotta work? No way, I'm not doing this stuff. They neglected to say that this is a way of freedom. My name's John Clute. I've been a member here at Platte Park Church since the beginning of time. My wife's name is Carol Clute, and my daughter's name is Evelyn Clute. For me, the amends process is more about forgiving someone. And for this instance, it was my mom. And I was going through and I was going, okay, my mom did this and this and this. And I wrote about all the things that she did to me. or whatever and then i went through and i started to write about how i reacted to it and where i was wrong i was willing to allow god to come in and take the resentment and transform that i was really nervous about doing that it was it was just really pretty new in the program and i was talking to a bunch of people and these these two women were talking about how great the amends process was and and they went in and they go and they say well it's really beautiful my mom and i did our amends and we cried and we laughed and they, she said yes i forgive you and so i'm expecting the same thing to happen to me I go, mom i was wrong i did this and she goes yes you were wrong and i don't take your amends you were terrible to us. And I'm like, but you're not supposed to do that. And he goes, I don't care. 
through the years, I would snipe at them. I would do things, I'd remind them of what they did wrong in my life and how they were at fault. And I began to realize that I was wrong for doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so what I did then later on is I had to do something called a living amends. I went through and I started to live clean. I went to them and I go, Mom, Dad, what I've been doing to you has been wrong. It really is where I, I can't do this anymore to you. I can't live this life where you are always going to be a victim of my anger. Please, I'm never going to do this again to you. And they go, thank you. Thank you. And it was that was one of the really most powerful processes and moments in my life with my parents and I. It's really the miracle of changing. The person who I used to be is a lot different than I am now.